I was homeless, uh, living in a vacant house with him, and I was a heroin addict, meth addict, warrants for my arrest, missing front teeth, hair pulled out. I mean, so that's the picture um, in 2016. So that was the picture of kind of the end of that. friends, this is the Single Mom Cast. I'm Mel Hyatt, and we have with us your favorite, Pam Keneally. Pam. Hi, everybody. Are you excited about this podcast I today? I can't wait. You're going to hear a testimony that just is amazing. I I'm excited. I have been waiting <laughs> so long to have this person in the podcast studio. I I'm so excited. I know. Um, I love this person and love her story, and I just am so honored that we get to share it with our moms. So welcome, Ariel Moore. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> we are so honored that you're here. Uh, before we get started, we're going to dive into your story and learn a little bit more about you. But what would you love for our single moms to know about you? Oh, I'm wearing lime green heels. Yes, yes with you like are. a maroon jacket, which is a risk. Okay, a risk. okay. I'm taking a risk today okay. with the clothes. <laughs> I want to point out that you've kicked the heels off. They're off. Not They're currently not off. Yeah. wearing. She's them. adorable. She's beautiful. She's here. She means business, uh, and and we're we're so excited. So. Yes, we are so excited. Okay, well, Ariel, I tell you what, let's just jump right in. Your story is one we could talk about for a long time, but but moms, I just want you to. If you've been through a hard time, if you wonder if it's going to turn out okay, if you know someone going through a hard time, uh, this is a podcast you're going to want to forward on to hundreds of people. But Ariel has a story that you are just going to be gripped by, and I'm so excited for her to share. So Ariel, tell us a little bit about your journey as a single mom. It is quite unique. Okay, I would love to. And I will, I'm going to start from like a weird spot. I'm going to start from like a point of time and then kind of give some background about it. So on February 1st, 2016, I had my um, son taken away from me, went to DHS custody. I was homeless, uh, living in a vacant house with him, and I was a heroin addict, meth addict, warrants for my arrest, missing front teeth, hair pulled out. I mean, so that's the picture um, in 2016. So that was the picture of kind of the end of that. But on the flip side, I grew up, you know, I think normal. I say normal because it wasn't like chaos, you know. Um, but my mom was an attorney. I lived with my stepdad, had a couple siblings, was the middle. So, you know, had some, I did, had some like look at me issues there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, and, and sometimes I wonder about addiction and there's like that nature versus nurture, you know, how much of this is just was genetic. And, and I'll say I was a feeler. So, I felt, you know, my feelings a lot uh, more intensely than I think anyone that I knew did. So my lows were lower. My highs were higher. Um, I was just kind of all over the board. And I was a very affectionate person. That was That's kind of my love language is affection. Um, my family's is not. And so, <laughs> and so growing up that way, it just feels like people don't like you. Mm-hmm. Like when your family doesn't speak your love language, language, it feels you just, everything's about you when you're a kid. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they just don't love me. You know, I'm not enough. I'm not valuable. All of those things. And, and my mom was, you know, she had three kids. She's a career woman. She was an attorney. She worked her butt off, mm-hmm. you know, and so I was alone a lot. She, you know, left for work at 7 a.m. and didn't come home till 6 p.m., um, and, we, you know, everyone in my house had separate rooms, even my mom and my stepdad. 
So he had a room upstairs. She had a room downstairs. The kids had their own rooms. And so it was very um, isolated, very, everyone was very independent. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I grew up. I remember being alone a lot and staring at the wall a lot. So, you know, when you're like, you ever just like stare at a wall and, you know, you can tell like the water spots on that wall. It's yeah. like kind of looks like a face. Yes. You're staring <laughs> too much. You know, that was a lot of my growing up is mm-hmm. moments like that. And so probably about when I was 14 ish is when I started to really want to hang out with friends and kind of, kind of get out there. Um, I've always been, like I said, sensitive, passionate person. So I'm either going to burn this place down or I will help you build it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like all all in for something. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I was 14, I started being all in for whoever I was dating. So my boyfriends were the most important thing in the world to me because there was my affection. Mm -hmm. There was my love. There was the longing, you know, to be valuable, to be valued. Um, and it, so I was obsessed with who I was dating. It was very serious to me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and then I started partying a lot. So I'd sneak out and go drink and get wasted. I mean, blackout drunk at like 14, 15, just partying, you know, Mm. and, um, started to really hate, have feelings of what I, you know, hate for my, for my mom and my family. And, um, just to, preface this to, I, I was not a believer. My family were not, um, didn't grow up with any kind of spirituality or anything like that. In fact, I was an atheist mm-hmm. and very proud of that. You know, my mom was, I would say she was an atheist because she kind of made fun of Christianity. Um, and, and so I did, especially, I thought it was better. I thought it was smarter. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have any good examples of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, when I was 14, me and my friend, um, stole a car and we had never driven. And so because it was, well, I had never driven. She had driven one time. She was six months older than me, so she actually got to drive the car that we stole. That was the qualifiers. That was the qualifiers. She was 14 and a half. She was 14 and a half. She qualifies. She was closest to the permit age. And so, you know, I had had enough. We were going to run away. And so we stole this really nice Honda Civic, actually, and just in the, in the middle of the night, you know, had no idea where we were even going. But I remember I had to say goodbye to my boyfriend before I drove to another state. I don't know what I was going to do. Um, but we were going down a country road at 4 a.m. and we came up on a T intersection and I had a portable DVD player in my lap. And it was, I, I asked her what the movie was about. And she turns her head over to that DVD player and starts explaining it to me. Next, next thing we know, we go through that T intersection going 70 miles an hour and hit a tree mm. head on. And, um, the, every all of the front of the car compacted into where I was, and I broke my arms, my hands, my legs, my my um, ankles, and she smashed her face on the steering wheel. And so when the dust kind of settled, and it was a cow town, so there's no lights. You know, right. it was really you know when you go into shock to your eyes get those black spots in them. Mm-hmm. And so when I could finally see her face, just looked like a deflated basketball, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's mm-hmm. dead. And so I, you know. Couldn't open the door because my arms were broken and my hands were broken. So I poked my seatbelt off finally, kicked my, you know, pushed myself up over the ledge of the window and just, oh my God, I remember that, like knowing that it was going to hurt feeling and just pushed myself out of that shattered, broken glass window onto the other side, onto the ground. And peed my pants immediately because I had to pee really bad, but I couldn't, sure. I couldn't quite get them do? down. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, man, you I got your hands to do that. You know, and what's weird, and this is TMI, but I, I squatted down. 
Like what? Even though your what? pants were up. Right, right. <laughs> like I'm still a lady. You were, yeah, yeah you were a proper a lady. lady. <laughs> that was, Not a savage. Because <laughs> you just stole in a car, but yeah. <laughs> you know. And so anyways, we didn't have a phone. I had to walk miles and miles to someone's house, um, knocked on the door with a foot that wasn't broken. Guy answers the door. He's sleepwalking. He goes back to bed. So I'm on oh, this porch goodness. for hours. Ugh. And by the end of... By three hours later, the shock had worn off so I could feel everything. And mm. I'm screaming, screaming on the porch. And these an elderly couple came out. I guess it, she was, they were his parents and they helped me and they were so kind. I was covered in blood and pee and dirt and mm. whatever. And they were so kind. And they mm. put a blanket around me and they let me in their home. And I called my mom and she was furious. And I'm, I know she was afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she, I was supposed to be in bed, but she was mad. And and because that's what I remembered, right? So she was mad at me. And so what happened was, you know, my biological dad, who I did not know, um, to kind of interject here, he was a drug addict and he was in and out of jail. And so I had a predisposition to be an addict. And so when I got in that car wreck, I was prescribed very heavy Mm painkillers for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, I didn't even need them. And I was begging for, I was like, oh, this hurts, that hurts. But I was on very heavy painkillers on a developing brain. At 14 years old. 14 years old, predisposed Mm -hmm. to addiction. It was like, it felt like a comfort in my chest. Like, because I didn't know God either. So I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit felt like. But I could feel this warmth in my chest that filled a void for me that I had never felt. And so I fell in love with that feeling of Mm -hmm. comfort. And... um, so I just that and that kicked off really the addiction thing mm-hmm. for me, and I you know smoked weed a lot and drank a lot and was emotional. Um, got I became very suicidal a lot of times, so I'd end up in mental hospitals, which make you crazier than you were when you went in them because mm-hmm. everyone is doing these really crazy things. And so I mean, I saw a girl take a glass coffee pot, throw it on the ground, and eat the pieces to cut her throat from the inside out. Oh, goodness. Like, that's what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. That's what I was exposed to. And so I became a very violent person while I was there, and I just would always get in trouble and always, you know, I was always in there longer than anyone. And so basically, by the time I was 15, I'm in rehab all the time, getting kicked out of them, um, in mental hospitals, trying to, trying to get stabilized on medications I didn't want to take, so I'd stop taking them and got arrested more times than I could count. Um, and when I was 17 years old, my biological dad, who I was talking about just a minute ago, so the reason him and my mom broke up when I, around the time I was born is because he got HIV. And, you know, obviously was a drug addict and everything, but that was the final straw. And so me having this longing to know this man and know who I was as a result, I would look him up online all the time and look at his mugshots, and I'd just see him wasting away. Mm-hmm. He would get paler and skinnier, and, you know, his hair would be different. And, and so I'd just see him dying, mm-hmm. you know, because he didn't have money either. You know, when you have more money, that's a different story, but he sure. didn't have anything like that. And so I'd see him, my time, it was just, it was like an hourglass, like time running out. Mm-hmm. And so when I was 17, he um, got to pneumonia and died. And I was in a rehab at the time and I went crazy and just went, you know, very extreme on some people, um, got kicked out. And my mom had no more options at this point, mm-hmm. you know, and so she hired some transporters who, you know, they, they can go and kind of kidnap someone and put them in shackles and take them where you need to take them. So that, that happened to me. I went to a program called Teen Challenge and, and f- 
well, the first one I went to was not locked down enough. I beat up this girl for trying to read the Bible to me. She was my big sister. I'm like doing quotations. That's what they called it, big sister in the program. And she, she was an angel. And she was reading the Bible to me, and I told her I'd kill her if she didn't stop, because I was an atheist, if you mm-hmm. remember. And she, of course, she's like, oh, my gosh, okay, Lord, this is how I'm going to be faithful. And so she would not stop. And so I attacked her with a metal chair and um, got captured again, moved to a place in Florida, and um, was in a jumpsuit, and I did Army corrections for days. And so my you know, my dad had died. I was separated from my boyfriend who lived in Oklahoma, and I lived states away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I truly lost everything that I was holding on to. And I walked into this facility um, after being stripped, searched. And one thing they found in my clothes was like a razor blade where I had been trying to, but it was like, you know, cover girl makeup. It wasn't a razor blade. I, it was what I thought was a razor blade. It was <laughs> right. like a plastic mirror that came in makeup. And so I was just whittling. I was, I was just, who knows? You know, I was just trying to end it or something. Anyway, so I walk in this facility, and there's all these girls, and there's worship music on, and these teenagers are facing the walls of this big room and worshiping God. And the presence of God was so thick in that room that I just couldn't deny it. Like, all my logic, all my smarts, all my education, and all my betterness (laughs) um, was gone, and I had lost everything. 14-year-old wisdom. Everything, Mm -hmm. yeah. And by by this time, I was 17, Mm -hmm. Um, and I was saved within hours. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I raised my hand in the back of the church, hey, you know, I'm going to make this decision and do some, do this and that. It was like a surrender Mm -hmm. of like, I have nothing left. And this, I'm like choosing death is what I felt like. Uh, Like, fine, you know. I woke up the next day, it was different. Like all that anger, all that trying to hurt myself, hurt other people, escape, you know, all this like caged animal feeling was gone. And I was, like, full of peace and contentment and surrender. Mm -hmm. So That is beautiful. Yeah. You know, moms, as you're listening to this today, I hope you heard the desperation, and I hope you heard um, how she was at the end of her rope. But more importantly, I hope you heard that, that Jesus transforms and that Jesus had a plan for her, and he does for you, too. As we move through this, I think Mel was going to ask her something about the single moms. I want them to hear this and to listen to the rest of what we have to say. Pam, before I ask Ariel this question, um, I wanted to ask you a question. Okay. I know I did mm. not prep you for this, but I I would call you my friend, Ariel, at this point. Um, we attend church together. I get to sort of have this front row seat, if you will, of watching what the Lord is doing with your story now um, at church and, and where you work. But Pam, I'm you, this is your first time to meet her and hearing this story. What are you thinking about the Lord hearing that? Or just what are you thinking in the back of your mind? About what the Lord is thinking as he's hearing this? What mean? are you thinking? You, you just met this woman and you hear this story and... I remember I heard this story the first time in a coffee shop, mm-hmm. and we were very unapologetic about how we were talking <laughs> about the Lord and heroin and all of the things. <laughs> and I was just a little shook and reminded of how big yes. God is. Yes. You know, sometimes I think, okay, mm-hmm. he's here in this building in Oklahoma City with me in this moment, but he's also 
in Florida in a probably white room with fluorescent lights yes. with girls yes. who are lost yes. facing a wall. Yes. I remember hearing your story mm-hmm. thinking, re- being reminded. Yes. I was just wondering. Well, you know what? I'm just thinking that I, moms, I don't know where you are or how trapped you feel or stuck you feel or is this ever going to end or how long is it going to be like this or all those questions I know you had and Mel you had and I had but God has a plan and that and that he presses into you he presses into you the spirit presses into you to woo you to just for a moment, surrender. And it's at that point of surrender you said everything changed. And it didn't just change. It changed dramatically the next day. You were a new pe- you're a new person. And so, Mom, I don't know where you are. If you think there's no hope for you or that you're living in hopelessness. Uh, I have a lot of single moms I'm thinking about right now as I'm saying this. You know, with, with Christ, you know, being the transformer, there is always mm-hmm. hope. And it's just a matter of your belief and surrender. And that's what you did. And here you are giving a beautiful testimony, you know, a number yeah. of years later. So yeah. I love that. Thank you for asking. Ariel, my son, collects these baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And the, the baseball cards capture the, the best image of that player, right? Maybe he's swinging or he's throwing the fastest pitch. And I don't think I will ever forget this image of you at 14 with broken bones crawling out of a car Mm -hmm. to save you and your friend. And I think that's your baseball card as a person of that you, I had told you this before, that what I see, the thread in your life is that you are somebody who refuses to give up. Mm-hmm. Even if you're physically, I don't know about you, Pam, but I just twist my ankle and I'm down. Sure. <laughs> just I'm going to, you know, and you, for you to walk into, you know, and all of that, I think is just this image of who you are. And so I want to ask you a question with, with that in mind of someone who refuses to give up regardless, because uh, your story has been either either pain that you caused or other people did and you you just have these moments of this this will not this will not stop me. So what encouragement would you have to our single moms who are listening who are saying I am out of hope and I'm not sure I can keep going. I want to give up. I would say to not be afraid or to not be afraid of let going letting go of the known for the unknown. That was always that moment in my life that surrender or whatever. It's like I was clinging so much to what I knew and what I had in my hands. And I was like that scarcity mindset, that desperation, that this is all I have. And so I need to just hold on to it tight and I can't, nothing can change. Um, it's such a scary feeling to let go of that. So I'd say don't be afraid. It is. It's your most it, at your most vulnerable point. And some of you moms are listening today, and you're at a very vulnerable place right now. You're at a crossroads. But I want to remind you that that you never know how strong you are until being strong in Christ is your only choice mm-hmm. left. And maybe that's where you are. Well, good. You're right where you need to be. And it is no accident that you're listening to this podcast. This is maybe the end of the rope and the moment that everything can turn and change for you. And God gives you that opportunity and that choice to do that. And I'm just praying that this may be something that you might be at the place to do in this very podcast. And we'll talk about that at the end. So let me ask you, Ariel, what have you learned about Jesus along the way? Um, I guess that he's real because I just didn't believe that he was real and that 
he's real right now in this moment, not later or back then, mm-hmm. you know, not, it's not for when I die or bef- necessarily before I was born. It's like in this moment, I have the Holy Spirit. Like he, he is working in everything I'm doing and I can ask for help and he's going to help me. Like I just, that's shocking to me. Yeah. And it's so shocking that I, sometimes I'm so like, I look around and I'm like, wait a second. Do you understand the implications of God being real? That changes everything. That should change this. That should change what we do when we go to our homes at night. You shouldn't just sit there. I mean, it's just like to worship God with your whole heart. Like he's like that that affection. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that's why he gave me that, like that longing for affections. Because that love that I have for him and and moments of worship and him filling me with the spirit. And that he will help me to do things that I cannot do without his spirit and his help. Like that... What? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's overwhelming too when you feel like you don't deserve it. Yeah. Right. Like we will, we will have those moments of thinking, why? Well, I, I I often will say that I've never really doubted God. I doubted myself mm-hmm. and that He would want to be God to me. You know. So mm-hmm. there's this separation of that. I believe that you are the Creator and the Father and those things, but I just probably don't deserve those Mm. things. And to see that he met you where he did is so incredibly powerful. I love that so, so much. Well, even thinking like that he will help me even when I'm not perfect. That to me is a huge deal. So anyways, I like that. No, I love it. Ariel, you had brought up your dad's addiction and how you felt like that was this gateway to yours. Do you have this fear for your son, Goose? So much. I, I mean, I think about it all the time. Not all the time, but... It's 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 been very real, especially when I first had him. Um, but yes, because I mean that, and he's very affectionate. Mm. You know, he's a feeler. Um, but his dad is bipolar okay. too, and so I had the addiction. I had depression. We had mental health, and so I have I have feared for that. But then I think about like, wait, think about our story. Like that baby was um, the whole and the entire time I was pregnant, I had no idea I was on drugs the whole time. Wow. No idea. And the way that God has protected that little baby and just redeemed our lives, that we were homeless together, that we were just exposed to all kinds of things. And here he is. There's no way that the story would end that way. It just wouldn't. Like, mm-hmm. he's too good. God is too good for that to be the end. He's definitely going to use it. Yeah. And, you know, your son is already asking questions, and you're able to tell them what you told us before about how he feels now about... What'd you say about going to homeless shelters or yes. something? That's that's and he's sick. I mean, he's a young little boy. He's not in a, a teenager. Tell him, tell everybody how he feels about that well, through your story. Because I've told him. I mean, he, he I told him the kid version of okay, we used to be homeless. Because mm-hmm. I have this mug shot that I wish I could just trans like transfer into all of your brains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we can we can attach it to oh, the speak the the notes do it. in this yes. podcast. Yes. Okay, so, so if, if you, you want to, we'll we'll do a then and now photo yes. so they can see. Yeah. Okay, so if you look at that picture, and I've showed my son, we've talked about you know being homeless together and and all of that, and I and so I explain it to him, and he goes, "Mommy, remember that time your hair was all broken off and you were really sad because you just lost me?" Like that's his, mm-hmm. that's the way he talks about it. And which that is picture so right. of you, your hair was broken off. It really <laughs> was, yeah. yeah. And so he knows that we were homeless, and so now he just has a heart for them. He's like, "Mommy, give him, give him some of this, or give him some of that, or he'll talk about them." It's in his language how he talks mm-hmm. about like help. Helping people—that's who he thinks of and what he 
Well, and, the, and you gave him that gift. The, the heroic part of your story is that you embraced it and you sort of gave it to the Lord and are letting him use it. So before we, I, I wanted to ask you, because we touched on it a little bit, you, you talked about where you came from, but where are you at today? What are you doing? You get to tell this story. I see you use it at church, but how is the Lord... Like, where has he brought you and what are you doing today? So tell us a little bit about what you do for a living. and Yeah. Well, and it's crazy how everything that I have experienced, good things, mostly bad things, it has prepared me for the, what I am doing today in a way that it, you, you can't learn in school. Um, so right now I'm the senior director for the Center for Social Innovation and, or CFSI, because it's a lot to say, but it helps people with social barriers go to college to change their lives, to get jobs, to to rebrand themselves, to relaunch themselves, because we have a lot of programs out there for like emergency room programs like rehab and all these things. Right. But what after that? Because right. you know what I mean? It's not about doing drugs or not. It's about finding purpose and hope uh-huh. in your life and a re- something that's better than what you thought you found in drugs. And so now I get to literally, and it's all based on like bib- like biblical things and, and church, you know, values of like the first thing we do is build community mm-hmm. and then we build identity and then we, we, you know, they decide who they are and what they care about, what they like. And we truly love each other and encourage each other and get through hard times. And so it is, it's awesome being able to do that. It sounds almost like physical therapy in a form. Yeah. You know, if you were to have surgery, sometimes they that. will they will tell you, we fixed the problem, but if you don't do the work in physical therapy... It's not going to work. It's if, not and if stay. you do, you'll be stronger. Yes. You know, I had a situation where if you do this, it will be stronger than it was before you injured it. And, that and that's the incredible mm-hmm. part. And so, so you're, you're doing this physical therapy, and I love what you're doing for them. And um, again, it's just, I think it's a heroic story that we have an opportunity with our with the story God has allowed or given us or however you choose to look at that, what I'm going to do with this. Mm-hmm. And if we are brave enough to let him use it, he always does. So as we close, Ariel, is there anything else that you would like to add, anything you would like to say to our single moms, anything we've missed? Um, I know we've literally exposed your whole life story, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> yeah. I think some of the most, like the most important things is like to be brave. Like we were saying, like have courage, be vulnerable, be a real person, um, decide who you are and what you like, not base it on what someone else likes, you know, cause I was in a relationship for a long time where it was whatever he liked. That's what I liked. And I didn't yeah. really know who I was. Um, but so I th- I would just say, yeah, just figure out authenticity is a huge deal to me, mm-hmm. knowing who I am and living into that, being who God created me to be and being brave. Like every moment is brave. Like, and then forgiving, forgiving my story, like what, what it means that I, that Jesus is my savior. What that means for me is that you can't hold anything against me. And mm-hmm. I was on heroin, you know, I lost my child. I was yeah. a stripper. Mm-hmm. Like I was the worst of the worst, mm-hmm. incarcerated, felon. all of those things though. It's okay. like, there's nothing that anyone is holding over me because I am redeemed. And what that means is that like, I owe nothing. I know, owe nothing to anyone wow. or any, any person. And I am so thankful for every single thing that I have, that feeling of like renewal. Like I'm that, um, that washed white as snow like, makes me ball my eyes out every time. Cause it was just like, oh. So, I mean, there's nothing that's too bad. 
There's, I mean, there's enough grace for anything, even in the, maybe it's day-to-day small things. Like, that's okay. Like when I make a mistake, it is okay. Yeah. I receive that. It's okay. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it slow me down. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to let my shame. And now I'll just add this. Our stories have the most power over us when we won't share them. So the more I shared, the more I was okay with saying, saying these things about my life and what I'd done. It's like, it lost its power over me. And so now I own it. It doesn't own me. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well, moms, in closing, I just want to um, just come right into your story. Your story is being played out as you listen. Maybe your story is surrounded by shame or guilt or should have done this or I'm not enough. Whatever the enemy wants to feed to you to, to make you feel hopeless If anything, what you've heard today is that your story, your scars and your stories, they they remind us, they may remind us where we've been, but they don't dictate where you're going. And so God wants to take you somewhere. The Bible says in Psalms, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And it does. It does. Joy comes in the morning. And Jesus said you would have tough times, but I'm sitting here thinking this story of tough times is now being used to his glory, to the Lord's glory. And your story is meant to do the same. There is nothing, there is nothing you have done that can disqualify you from God doing great and powerful things. Nothing. In fact, these make the best testimonies later. They make the best. And so I want to encourage you in your story, turn it over to God, seek help, get a counselor, whatever you need to do to to move to to the place where you make this decision that I'm about ready to share. Maybe some of you listening have never received Christ, like when Ariel walked in that room, there were all these facing the wall, praising God. It just broke her down, and she finally surrendered. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe this is your moment to surrender. I want to walk you through this. Number one, stop right now and say, God, I surrender. I give it to you. I give up trying to fix, change, or reverse it. But I trust you and I let go, even though I don't know what's next. I surrender to you, Almighty God, Jesus, my Savior. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to transform me, to do something out of this mess, to make this mess your message. I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And say, I thank you, God, that you're not done with me yet. And I thank you, Jesus, for what's ahead for me. In Jesus' name, you pray. Amen. And I want to close, too, with Joshua 1.9, because Ariel was talking about being brave. Joshua 1.9 says, be strong and brave. Single moms, you listen here. Be strong and be brave. Don't be afraid and don't panic, for God says, I am with you wherever you go. So you take that message today. God bless you. God be with you. And concerning your story, to God be all the glory.